Well, good morning. I guess, um, I guess we can start with confession. How about that? Uh, it's a very rich parable, and there's lots of things to talk to. So I have all sorts of thoughts flowing around in my head. And I was sitting down, I was, I was getting ready to organize them last night. And Connor Shaw got put into the football game. <laughs> and it was exciting, to say the least. So... That was great. Um, the sermon will be as well, I hope. Um, might not be great, but God's word is always great, and I thank him for that. So we're, let's just let's go. We're in Luke chapter 18. Um, we're going to look at verses 9 to 14. If you've got a Bible, um, pull it out. This is a really fabulous parable. Um, or if you have an app or something on your cell phone, you can use that. Um, or if you just want to watch the screen, that is okay as well. Uh, the, the fundamental question that Jesus is answering in this parable is how can man be righteous before a holy God? How can man be righteous before a holy God? It's really interesting. The parable um, before this one was a parable of the persistent widow, and Jesus ends it with kind of a strange question. He says, um, He says, I tell you, uh, not that part, nevertheless. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So he's told this parable about a widow and her persistent faith and her persistent prayers. And then he says, this is what you should be like. But when the Son of Man comes, he's saying, when I come, will I find that kind of faith? Does that faith exist? And I can imagine the crowd, and they're sitting there, and they're listening, and they're like, oh, yes, I've got it right here. Pick me. And he tells them this parable. He tells them this parable, and maybe they're just thinking that to themselves. Like, well, yeah, Jesus, what kind of question is that? You know, some of us special folks over here, we've got that kind of faith. Perhaps the Pharisees were saying that. And I think Jesus, uh, this is reading into it a little bit, but I'm I'm certain almost that that Jesus perceives that mindset in the crowd. He perceives that there are some folks there who are are, are, are ready to justify themselves and say, yes, I, I have that faith, Jesus, and I can prove it to you. And so he tells them this parable, and it's really interesting. He tells the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, And treated others with contempt. And so there were folks there in the crowd that Jesus knew and perceived who were from certain claiming to have um, the faith that Jesus was looking for based on things that they did and what they were good at. And Jesus perceives that and he, he tells them this parable. Now this parable is directed to them. I'm sure there are hundreds of people around and he's, it's a very pointed parable and probably mostly to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if you had to pick one of these two men who had that faith that Jesus was asking about in the previous parable, you would almost certainly in that day and age pick the Pharisee. These were holy men. These were religious leaders. They read their Bibles all the time. They they actually loved their Bibles so much that they took a Bible verse and they strapped it to their forehead to walk around so it was always between their eyes so they could always see it. They prayed daily. They were certainly the holiest and most righteous people in society. Not this, this tax collector. He's a traitor. 
likely, very likely a Jewish man, but he's working for the Roman government. He's collecting heavy taxes for foreigners. And he's, not only that, if he wants to make any money himself, he has to add a, a surcharge. So he's extorting his, um, his fellow Jews in order to make money for himself working for the Roman government. This is an unholy, unrighteous man. And they both go into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So the Pharisee walks into the temple, walks straight up to the front. I mean, he stands and he's proud, isn't he? What a proud man. And it's really interesting who he's praying to. Um, He's kind of praying to God, but he's really, maybe he's praying to God, but he's praying about himself, is he not? He uses the first person singular pronoun, I, he uses this pronoun five times in two verses. Five times in two verses. I thank you, I'm not like these other men. I do this, I do that. God, I am righteous in your sight, and I thank you for that. He was basing it on, on his own worth, his own works, on how, how holy he was, on all the great things he was doing. And there's probably some in the crowd listening to this and saying, well, yeah, he's a, he's a righteous guy. Look at how holy he is. He fasts twice a week. The, the Old Testament law says you only have to do that once a year. He does it twice a week. He gives 10% of everything he has. He, he's obeying the rules. What a holy man he is. He has every right to be thankful that he's not like that tax collector. And so the tax collector comes in, and the Pharisees, he's standing there, and he's all puffed out, and he's like looking down his nose at the tax collector, and the tax collector, he stands back, doesn't he? He's, he's in the back. He's in the shadows. He's probably um, on his knees or face down even, and he's beating his breast. You know why people do that? They do that because they are in such terrible grief. He is so grieved over who he is and what he's become. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's no like, God, I, I'm, I know I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. There's, there's none of that. There's no, he's not even like, um, God, I'm really trying hard. Please be merciful to me. He just said, he like, he was probably tearing his clothes saying, be merciful, Lord. I, I'm so grieved over what I've become. The crowd would, would see this and hear this and say, wow, that's a really sinful guy. He's going to get what he deserves. And what happens? Jesus speaks to them, probably jars them. They were probably astonished that he would say this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How do you get right with God? You don't get right with God by doing a bunch of things really well or doing a bunch of good things, or being particularly holy, or being better than the person sitting next to you in the pew right now. That will not, that will not justify you before a holy God.
God. It can't. It can't. And so there's, there's three things that we really could take away uh, from this sermon. I'm going to, uh, from this passage, I'm going to mention two, and then we're going to uh, sit on one a little bit, because I think it's a particularly helpful one. Um, but the first one is simply this. I'm going to ask you three questions, and the first question is this. Whose work or whose action are you claiming righteousness by? Okay? By whose action are you claiming righteousness? And when I say righteousness, it's kind of a big sort of a technical term. But, but what is it about you that makes you right with God? That makes that relationship okay? What is it about you that makes that relationship okay? For the Pharisee, it was about um, who he was and what he was doing. Okay? For the tax collector, it was about God and his mercy. It's about God and his mercy. And so if we come before God and we are so proud of who we are and what we've done, we will not go home justified. We will not go home in a right relationship with him. We will will be building our whole identity on our own selves. And one day, friends, that's going to come crashing down. But this tax collector, the one who went home justified, he didn't say anything about who he was or what he did other than, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Sometimes that's the only prayer we can pray. God, I know how bad I am. Give me your grace. Give me your mercy. Make me right with you, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That he died for me and gave himself up for me that I might live. That's the first thing we want to look at. second one is this. What attitude does your righteousness engender in you? This is like a good sign of how you're, you're basing yourself and basing your relationship with God. The, the tax collector, he was a very humble man, right? A very humble man as, as far as we could tell. At one point in his life, he probably was not. But at this particular moment in the temple, when he's realizing that things are falling apart, he comes in and he is completely humble. Have mercy on me, a sinner. There, the, his silence speaks volumes compared to this Pharisee. What attitude does your righteousness engender? Does it make you look down on others? Does it breed contempt in you? Um, Verse 9 is so telling. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, so who who were basing their righteousness on themselves, that they trusted themselves that they were righteous. And what happened because of that? They treated others with contempt. So the question is not, do you treat others with contempt? It's, who do you treat with contempt? Who is it? We all do it. I, I do it. We all do it. There's, there's someone or some group of people or some identity or some institution or something that you look down on, that we look down on, that we turn our noses to. What is it? What person or what, what people or what ideology is it that you look down on with contempt because what you believe and what you think and who you are is so much better? Who is it? Who is it? I'm just going to give you a hint. For many of us, it might mean that we should, if, if you're not sure who it is, just check your Facebook statuses. That'll often tell you. Who is it, friends? And when you do that, you're, what you're doing is you're saying, look, 
what I believe is so much better than what you believe. What I do is so much better than what you do. You might claim you're, you know, a righteousness with God based on His work and His grace, but, but realistically, living it out every aspect of our lives, there are places where we're let not letting go of that, where we're holding on to our own goodness or our own virtue. Okay? Now, you might be right or you might be wrong, but the fact of the matter is if it's breeding contempt in you, you don't get it. And then the final thing, and I want to dwell on this one just a little bit because I think it's kind of um, the problem. This is, this is what we do. What standards are you measuring yourself by? Whose standards are you measuring yourself by? When you look at this Pharisee, let's look at verse 11 again. It's, it's amazing. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you, God, that I'm not like you and you and you and you and you and especially you over there. I thank you, God, that I'm not like that. Who is he measuring himself by? Not by God. He's measuring himself by others. In comparison to other people, he's saying, well, thank you, God, that I'm not like that, so I must be more holy or more righteous. And we do this, God, we do this all the time. Listen, there's a joke that we say on the men's hike, um, but it's only funny because it's true. <laughs> and it goes something like this. You don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the guy next to you. Now, we're not comparing ourselves to the bear. We're comparing ourselves to our slower friends. And as long as we can beat them, we're okay, right? Or how about, you know, you're, um, when you're on the interstate, okay, how fast do you go? Speed limit? Anybody? Probably a few of you. That's great. Um, but generally speaking, a good rule of thumb is you go fast enough that you're slower, just slower than the fastest person on the interstate, right? Because he'll get caught and you won't because he's worse than you. And what happens if maybe the cop chooses to pull you over instead? You might not say it. I mean, you might cry or something. But realistically, you're thinking, I was going slower than him. But, sir, you're going 85. It doesn't matter. He's going 90. Well, you're still breaking the law. You see, we do this all the time. We do it all the time. Or, or really, if we want to get real about this, well, so maybe I... I I look at some dirty images on my computer from time to time, but at least I'm not cheating on my wife. Or maybe I could hold this unforgiveness in my heart towards my parents or my brother or my friend, but at least I haven't physically hurt them, right? No, I'm not real generous with my money, but look at what this guy down the street is doing with his. At least I give more than, than he does, um, it's amazing how we do this to ourselves, how, how, how as long as we're better than somebody else, that somehow that's okay. It's really interesting. Um, several years now, it's probably been 20 years ago, but there's an, an article published um, by, it was a, it's a Christian college professor in a secular university, and she's a literature professor. And as part of her class, she gave her students to read a copy of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 8-ish, somewhere in there. She gave them this, this copy of the Sermon on the Mount and asked them to write a reflection paper on it. Two things happened. She was amazed at how many of them were actually not at all familiar with it. And she was even more amazed at the responses she got to it. This is 
unadulterated, unfiltered, staring at the standards of God. And this is how people responded. I did not like the essay, Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read and made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. The things asked in the sermon are absurd. Look at a woman as adultery. That's the most extreme, stupid, non-human statement I have ever heard. These students were presented not with the standards of man, but with the standards of God. And there was no filter there. They didn't have the cultural baggage of 2,000 years of, of, of Christendom. They, they didn't grow up believers. And so they read this and they think, this is crazy. Who could possibly do these things? And there's, there's no justification there. They just say, this is impossible before God. The tax collector gets this. He, he's beating his breast. Be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I, I see your standards and I can't live up to them. And, and it just breaks down our, our whole structure and how we view ourselves. And, and so we say, well, I look at dirty images, but I don't cheat on my wife. But Jesus says anyone who looks lustfully at another woman commits adultery. That's what you're doing. You're like, yeah, I have terrible unforgiveness, but I've never hurt anybody. Well, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're committing murder. That's the standards of God. That's what we come before. And that's why the tax collector, and that's why each one of us in this room should be on our knees begging God for mercy. So two things to take home. Too often, the church is seen as a moralistic, judgmental institution. So we sit in here, and, you know, we, we mostly know each other, not everybody, but we, we sit in here, and we can say, we don't necessarily look at our neighbor and say, well, thank God I'm not like him, but we do, don't we? We do kind of look out at, at the world and say, look, God, thank you that we're not like them. Thank you that we're not like them. You know, we do all the right things. We listen to Christian music, and we play Christian video games, and watch Christian movies, and we don't eat at Chick-fil-A, but not on Sundays. Which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> and those are all good things. I, I love Chick-fil-A. And I'm, I think it's fabulous that they're not open on Sundays. What a great witness. But at the same time, we can be very sort of like judgmental and moralistic. And, and, and sometimes we get to be like the Pharisee. And we're like, thank God we're not like him. But what if we came up to him? Or what if, God forbid, the tax collector came into our church? And instead of thanking God that we weren't like him, what if we went up to him and said, hey, I, I haven't seen you here before. What brings you here? Well, I'm, I'm finally at the end of the rope. I realize how awful I've been. What if we just said, hey, man, I'm, there, I'm right there with you. But thank God that we can worship a graceful and loving Savior. The second take-home is this. Some of you, I hope, are feeling like this tax collector, and you're at the end of your rope. You don't need me or anybody else in this room to tell you how far from God you are. And I pray that your prayer would, would be that of me and that of hopefully most of us in this room. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us sinners. And the good news, the good news is that in spite of an infinitely holy standard, God has given us an infinitely loving Savior who died for us and gave his life for us so that even when we can't meet the holiness 
that God requires, even when we can't live up to his glorious name, we're forgiven and loved anyway. And by the power of that Holy Spirit, may we offer that same forgiveness and love to a hurting world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your holy um, standards that, that you don't, you're not willing to accept second best, that you only want the best, what's best for us. And thank you, Lord, that even when we fall short of that, you love us anyway, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Pour your grace upon us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And release us now as we seek to praise you and worship you and go forth proclaiming your glorious name. And we ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.